0: Good evening, everybody. My name is Larry, and I am an alcoholic. And I'm grateful to God uh, to know that today. Uh, With the help of God and uh, the program of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Strong Sponsorship, I've been able to stay sober since August 11, 1972, one day at a time. I'd like to thank the, the winter gathering for asking me to uh, share my experience strength and hope and it's always an honor to to share at any AA meeting uh, there was somebody up at the podium when I came in and that's how I was able to identify uh, I was born in New York City 1931 I just had a birthday November 4th 65 years old and uh, my mother died when i was a baby and uh my grandmother and grandfather brought me up uh my grandfather died when i was 10. i had three older brothers and they weren't home as i grew up two of them became hustlers in the streets of new york and and one uh he wasn't home either and he uh worked for a living and uh the family was always talking about the one that worked for a living and they, they was always downgrading the two that uh, wound up in reform school, the penitentiary and whatnot and they were about 13 to 14 years older than me and uh, my grandmother was always telling me uh, about them the family was talking about them a lot and, uh, and I remember my grandmother telling me before my when my mother was dying she told her don't let me end up like Joe and Harry they were the two hustlers and uh, if I didn't follow the script to let me go into reform school and you know just cut me loose uh, I don't know it wasn't that hard because I chose to follow the script we we uh, had a discussion at the a couple of us the other day at the central office about choices and what like that and, and uh, anyway I chose to follow the script and in those days uh uh this was the 40s in New York, uh, we had the tenement buildings and whatnot, and it was stickball in the neighborhoods in the summertime, and, and, like, touch football in the, in the streets, and, uh, we'd choose upsides and play, and the girls would be jumping rope, and, and I was into sports, I, that was my, uh, my love, and, and, uh, and I believe, looking back, I, I wanted to live down that image of my, my two, two brothers, and, and, um, uh, but I believe sports helped a lot and uh, they, kept, they did keep a tight rein on me. Uh, anyway, uh, so I followed the script and junior year of a Catholic high school, uh, I didn't study so I flunked out and uh, I wound up in the public school and uh, now uh, it's, this is co-ed and with the help of my aunt talking to my grandmother, uh, she's loosening the reins a little bit on me so uh, I think I was around 17 going on 18, and uh, so now uh, I'm able to hang out with the guys in the neighborhood. Now, most of the guys in the neighborhood, fact, all of them, they went to the public school, and all I was able to do was play ball with them, and then I had to come on in. But now uh, I'm able to hang out with them a little bit, and I think curfew curfew was, I think, 12 or 1 on on uh, Friday or Saturday night. But it, was, it wasn't late. And... Uh, you had to make the curfew. I mean, because uh, my grandmother, she, you know, if if I was late, you know, two weeks in the house, and 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 that hurt because I wanted to play ball. So I followed the script. And um, but we'd give these uh, uh, club parties, or sometimes we'd have like little dances at at the house, And I was a wallflower, and uh, and I wanted to be the guy that could get on the floor and dance and talk to the girls. And I. And I couldn't do it. And then I was introduced to this wine, and the wine did the trick. I was able to be somebody else. I was able to talk to the girls and and uh, become somebody else. Uh, it really wasn't that much much drinking because hardly none of us had any, you know, money. And then we was mostly was playing uh, sports, and a lot of the guys were a couple of years younger than me. Anyway, I graduated from high school, and the next week I joined the Marine Corps. And the first night in boot camp, I regretted that I did join. You know, uh, I I don't know what I expected—a welcome mat or what. But anyway, I I just, and you know, that's over 40 years ago. But I still remember that. I just couldn't figure out what the hell the drill instructors were so mad at all of us about. You know, and every, you know, and uh, and I remember the drill instructor asking, uh, "How many of you guys are from New York?" And and there was about 57 of us in there. One of the, Joe, oh, a bunch of gangsters we got here, you know, and oh, man, it was, I, I mean, the physical part was all right, because I played ball and everything, but the, the, the verbal abuse, and you know, like we were dirt and everything, and then this was my first time away from home, and and practically all of us was between 17 and 19, I happened to be 19, and, uh, but anyway, that was an experience, and I got through it all right. Another key thing that happened, um, uh, I was going with a young lady that lived right across the street from me, and um, this was when I went against the, 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 my grandmother's wishes. And this young lady happened to be 13, and I was 19, and um, this was no sexual thing or anything like that, but I had planned to marry her when she got out of high school. And um, my grandmother was furious because uh, in those days, if you if you, you know, uh, got with a girl and, and she got pregnant, you had to marry her. That's the way it was in those days. And she just felt that, you know, uh, uh that, 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 that would happen, but it, it, you know, it, it wasn't happening. And anyway, uh, she was glad that I went in the Marine Corps and anyway, we, uh, we broke up. She wrote me a Dear John while I was in the, in the Marine Corps. And, uh, anyway, that's another experience, experience. And, uh, I was to carry that torch for a long while, anyway, that'll appear later on in my story. Uh, the Marine Corps wasn't hard. the military isn't hard if you can uh you know, if you don't have a problem with authority uh, but if you do you, that's not the place to go. Uh, any military branch and uh, anyway, I followed the script and I got out uh, and, and I drank uh the service is ideal. You can get drunk and you come back on the base. You're going to eat and sleep for the next two weeks and you do the same thing again, you know, and every, practically everybody did it. And, uh, it was very few that didn't. Uh, so, uh, I got out the Marine Corps with an honorable discharge. Uh, I made buck sergeant, uh, three years, a stripe a year. And, uh, and when I got home, uh, I was thinking of, uh, the Bill Wilson story. They had a welcome home sign on my door and I was thinking how in, the, in his story it says hail the, the conquering hero or something to that effect and uh, you know I was, I was thinking about that as, as uh, you know was, I was reading his story but uh, I got out and uh, now really all my focus was was party time now uh, I had the GI Bill but it was no college or nothing like that in my mind I'd finished high school none of my brothers had done that uh, I got an honorable discharge. Uh, well, one brother did that, uh, the one that worked for a living. He uh, was in World War II, and he got an honorable discharge. So uh, I had achieved all uh, that I was going to achieve, you know, and my, the family was happy in my grandmother's because now I wanted the party time, which meant drinking. And uh, she rented out my room, and that was all right. Uh, I slept in the living room because the couch opened up. So that didn't bother me. And I continued to drink and uh this was 54 and 55 I um uh, I married a young lady that had uh I had seen her she had come up from Alabama and before I went in the Marine Corps and uh she was like a she was a second choice you know my first choice you know I I was an acceptance thing and I had lost her uh so I married her and uh before I got married I was talking to an an elderly gentleman that had known me in the block as a kid and he said now when you get married you don't live with her in-laws or your it or your in-laws uh, you if you got to get your room get to yourself but now I got all the answers now and everything I said my grandmother likes her and and it's gonna be one happy family and then I wanted the easiest off the way because uh, the rent was cheap at my grandmother's because she had been there a long time uh, all the furniture was paid for it was all set up, you know, so uh I convinced her to move in and after three months, all hell broke loose you know uh, they almost got in a fist fight and everything and uh and then uh i was uh, I remember standing in between them, and i was the like the peacemaker. I was responding like I was taught you know how she had brought me up and uh and that didn 't work. The family went against me for that. I remember that night when we walked out of the house, across to her aunt's house, they yelled out the window, cousin, my cousin or something, said, you ain't no man, you let her talk to your mother like that. In other words, the family now wanted me to respond like the two brothers they told me not to be like. So in other words, uh, I was getting a a dual message. That all, All my life they'd brought me up not to be like them, but then for that incident, they wanted me to come out of a street bag and go upside her head and so I was confused and pissed off resentful at all of them and uh, I continued to drink we got a room and uh, I kept drinking I couldn't manage my life so the only thing that I could think of was going into the military Uh, I had seen how the Air Force lived overseas so this was my easiest off the way so I says I'll go in the Air Force and do 20 years and they'll manage my life and the wife will get a check and that will be my easiest, softer way. And uh, so I joined the Air Force in 56, and uh, I continued to drink, but now my personality's changing. Now I'm going upside my wife's head. I'm, I'm saying such things as you made a punk out of me in front of my family. You see, I'm changing now. I'm, re- I'm uh, resentful against my grandmother. She brought me up to be a punk or a sissy. These were my thoughts now, you know, because I was ridiculed for being brought, you know, by, by not responding the way they thought I should respond. Uh, I continued to drink and uh, a little girl was born in 57 and uh, the rank didn't come as fast as I thought it should come and uh, I decided to, now it's all I, I, I if you notice, you know, I'm, I'm totally in the driver's seat, man, <laughs> going mad, you know. Uh, I, I decided to get out, I moved back on the base and my wife goes back to New York and with the little girl. And I got out in 1960, and uh, from 1960 to 1970, my life was a, a big, fat mess. Three more kids were born. Now this makes four. Uh, the continuous fights, the resentments, uh, in and out of the post office. Uh, I was a type of drunk, uh, when I got paid, uh, I worked on a night tour, 4 p.m. tour, 6 p.m. So Anyway, I'd get my check at night. Off the top, I'd go cash my... My check in a, in a, in the liquor store or the bar you know and then I come back to work and, and I continue to drink uh, I was always in trouble on the job uh, a lot of times the wife didn't see me a lot of times I'd hook up with my brother now this was a brother that had lost his eye this was one of the hustling brothers he had lost his eye in a rumble and so he had squared up now and he was we had to work for a living and his wife was a street person so she worked and uh, I would hook up with them, and they were the ideal uh, drunks, man, alcoholics. Boy, I, I could go there, and they'd have four or five quarts of liquor on the table. The beer would be in the refrigerator, and the jukebox would be jumping, you know. And whoever was in the neighborhood could come on in, you know. And we'd party for, for two or three days or maybe a week. We'd spend up my paycheck, her paycheck, and his paycheck, you know. And if you came with me, you were automatically welcome, you know so uh this is what would happen then i would come back home and beg the wife to take me back home and promise this and promise that but i never remember problems and i wouldn't drink i never remember <laughs> promising <laughs> of that never i never remember promising of that but uh and then the remorse and guilt you know the remorse and shame because i had four kids and i remember one time i came home off a of drunk about a week or so later and my my oldest boy was uh think he might have been nine or ten and he had a hold in his shoe and he was playing with it and he had his fingers and I stood behind him and I broke down and cried because I just had the money two weeks ago you know but once I picked up that first drink it took me you know and that was hurting and shame you know uh, so I continued to get into trouble finally uh, I wound up in the workhouse for non-support you know now I was in my 30s and uh, when i went there they gave me that one call and i and i figured uh you know i'd been the good boy all this time with the family i hadn't gotten in trouble so i was old one so i said well no problem they'll pay the arrears and get me out so i made the one call and my grandmother said no let him stay you know (laughs) and man was i pissed off you know and will i have a resentment because i figured i was old one you know so uh anyway i did close to 90 days and uh and then while i was in there i met a guy he was a policeman i was in the receiving department and uh he recognized me from grammar school man you know and he said man didn't i go to school with you and i looked at him and i said yeah yeah and that was another you know uh, hurting thing but anyway i got out of uh the workhouse and the judge told me if you come back over here again i'm going to give you a year but uh, i got out and i continued to drink and uh continue to to mess up and uh, finally uh with the with the advice of my brother, the one of the other ones that was still hustling, uh, trouble was it was closing in on me, and and uh, he said, "Why don't you leave the post office, resign from the post office, and uh, take off the jersey?" Now the woman had you locked up. That was his his idea. She had me locked up. Now any time a woman have you locked up, they don't want you, man. So. Leave the post office and go and go to Jersey and pick out some social security numbers and use your middle name. Now, he had gotten that idea because what, what had happened, he had he had a job with uh, he worked for this bar and they sent him to the bank. But I think it was this was in the 40s. And they sent him to bank with, I think, three or four thousand dollars to deposit. And he kept walking. You know, so uh, he was gone from from uh, we didn't see him for about ten years, so he had gone he had gone to Jersey and did that. you know he had worked uh, used the alias and stuff like that, and, and that's what, uh, that's what he did. see, so he was recommended that I do that. and uh, uh, and I took off. I listened to him and it sounded like a good idea, and I, and I ran. You know I ran for my responsibility and you can see the 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 disease of alcoholism how you how you change man you're thinking and all that and 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 uh, and I left and but I didn't do exactly what he told me to do and and uh, I used my regular Social Security and I I worked at this nursing home and um, I used my regular name and after about almost two years they caught up with me and uh, I was headed for the what I got the letter I came to my two bosses now one of my bosses was a lawyer and a senator that owned the nursing home one was a doctor so they told me to report in over there in the Bronx and uh, they would see what they could do so I stayed overnight and then uh, a guard came to the cell and he said there's two ladies out there you know they've paid your arrears and, and they're taking you back to you know to Jersey and uh, so they took me back to Jersey and they paid my arrears and uh but I continued to drink, you know? I mean, that was just, uh, and this was this was a nursing home where you, you, you ate three meals, and you're like a military thing again, and, and, uh, and I'd get drunk, uh, I would drink every day and whatnot, but I was functioning somewhat. Uh, finally, um, I left the nursing home, and I came, came back to New York, and uh, my wife took me. Now, she hadn't heard from me, the family hadn't heard from me, and here was a hurting thing. My grandmother had died and was buried. With the resentment that I had, I didn't get in touch with none of the family. You know, all they knew I was somewhere in Jersey, and uh, and she had been she was had died and was buried, and I wasn't even there, and uh, that was a painful thing. And I got back in 1967, and uh, the wife took me back home, and uh, I continued to drink. I got back in the post office, and it was the same, the same deal. So finally. Uh, Uh, I came off this drunk, and I always took at least a week. I never took one day, you know. It was always two or three, and and after three days, you had to bring a note, so if you're going to bring a note, you might as well take four or five days, and that was my rationale, you know. Uh, Anyway, uh, I came off this drunk, and I come to work, and a guy comes up to me, and he said, man, did you hear about Charlie? I said, what about Charlie? Now, Charlie was a a fellow that I had gone to high school with, and he worked in the post office and we had drank a lot together, wine and everything and uh, he said he tried to jump out the post office window Saturday, this was Monday when I come I said jump out the window he said yeah so I said what the hell was wrong and he said they took him out of here in a straitjacket They took him down to Bellevue now Bellevue was the nut ward way downtown in, in uh, Manhattan <laughs> so I couldn't figure out what the heck was wrong with him so so when he, Charlie comes back about a week later and I said, man, what happened to you? He said, man, I had DTs and voices was telling me to jump out the window. I said, voices? Well, he said, yeah, man. He said, I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to AA to do something about my drinking. So I said, oh. So I'm looking at him. Now, I got my jug near my locker and I'm looking at him. And the guy's sober and he's talking about AA. And then he's, you know, he's saying, man, uh, and how he got the message. He was in Bellevue that night, that one of the days. And they came around. And uh, they asked, does anyone want to go to an AA meeting, an AA meeting? So one of the guys said to him, he says, man, you're going to the AA meeting. So he said, man, I don't own no automobile. He said, no, man. <laughs> he, he, said, he said, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, this is where the people from outside, they come in and they tell them funny stories. And they give you free cigarettes. So, so he thought, you know, he thought to himself, he said, well, I ain't got no cigarettes, what the heck, I'll, I'll go any, you know, anyway. So he went, and at, at the podium was an ex-policeman, and the policeman was telling his story. And he said, now, uh, I used to be a patient right here like you people. And he said, the, po- the police department fired me for drinking. He said, now, I was resentful at them for firing me, but I'm grateful now that they fired me now because it led me to Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you want to get your life together, when you leave here, go to AA. So that's how he got, you know, he got the message. And uh, so this was around, I think, August maybe. And then uh, he said, uh, he was talking about AA, and he was saying, man, it's the hippest thing going, man. They got doctors in there, lawyers, penitentiary cats, cats that have been to the nut wards and, and all that. And, you know, he was, he was excited about it, you know, and I'm looking at him. And the guy's sober, you know, and I'm drinking and I'm looking at him, you know. So he says, uh, after 90 days, you got to tell your story. Well, in New York City, they call it qualifying, and after 90 days, they do ask you to lead, you know. Uh, and then sometimes, uh, even at an open discussion, they'll ask you to lead. And they really don't make a, a, a big thing about it. They say, tell how you drank, how you got to AA, and how you've you know, been doing for the, for the 90 days. And as you stay sober, you'll have more to tell. And uh, so anyway, but he had the wrong impression. He didn't have to lead, lead you know, because there's a choice. So anyway, he was talking about AA. And uh, so I asked him, I said, well, when, when you get ready to, you know, to, to talk, let me know. I'll go with you. So nearing his 90 days, I asked him, I said, hey, when are you going to talk? So he said, I ain't going back to AA. And so I said, well, I said, why, man? He said, man, I'm going to smoke me some Reapers, man, and, you know, and I can't get up at the podium and be, you know, be talking, talking AA. He said, and, it ain't, and ain't nothing wrong with smoking Reapers. He said, but I don't want to mess with alcohol. I don't want to hear them voices no more. So, um, so, and he, and then he said, he said, those guys are, are serious about it, man. They, they high off life, man, and, you know, and sobriety is a way of life. So he didn't go back. But what happened uh, later on in that year, this was the 70s, God had used him to plant a seed, and, I, and I'll and i explain it to you. I was on, on a drunk as usual, and this drunk, I got my paycheck December 5th. Now this is Christmas time, everybody's hustling to get money for the kids, but see, that's the deal, when you pick up, when I pick up that first drink, man, it didn't matter what was going on, you know? And I wound up in Brooklyn with my brother, and uh, he was by himself now, because his wife had died of sclerosis of the liver three years earlier, and we all went to the funeral all drunk and everything, and and that's another thing you know, uh, people can be dropping dead all around you, and it doesn't even register, you know. And we kept on drinking. But anyway, I hooked up with him, and I didn't come off that, that drunk until December 30th. And uh, now it's time to go back to work. Now it's time to hustle up money for a doctor's note, you know. And I said, Jesus Christ. And the note was only, I think, 5 or $10 at the most, you know. So now I can't get no money for the note and blah, blah, this. And I got to have a note to come back. I always brought the evidence back. And uh, that's another thing they were closing in on me, too. Uh, One of the leave counselors told me, he said, you know, Mr. Darden, we don't have to accept your doctor's note. I said, what do you mean? you you got to take my doctor's note. He said, wait a minute. He says, we know employees get sick once, maybe twice a year, but not the way you're doing it, you know. And I just thought, you know, alcoholism, we can just do it to death, you know, all the time. So he was closing in on me. You know and then an old timer told me yeah they could send you to their doctor and have you checked out and if you're that sick you shouldn't be working and stuff like that and he said that all that stuff had been on the books but now they were getting to enforce it so anyway um uh, uh, I couldn't get no money for a dollar I couldn't and bingo my buddy had come to these rooms and he had stayed sober for 90 days that was my out and I and I didn't know whether it would work because it, we didn't have a EAP program on the job at that time but this was my only chance, so I uh, went to Intergroup. I called Intergroup, and I talked with one of the guys at the desk, and he shared something about his story, and I shared, you know, mine. and And he he said, "Can you go to a meeting today?" I says, "Yeah." So he sent me to the Mustard Seed on East Thirty Seventh Street near Lexington, and uh, and it was uh, a. Yeah, oh, did it? Oh, I'll talk a little louder. Then. So uh, I went to. Can you hear me now? Uh, I don't, uh, I don't. Can you hear me now? No. Well, I'll talk louder. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh. <clears throat> okay (laughs) so he sent me to east 37th street did you hear that yeah (laughs) and uh i you know i sat in the meeting and uh a lady was up there uh telling a story and uh you know i really wasn't in but this was my out so i sat through it and i went in the back and i got a note from one of the ladies and uh I went to my leave counter. I said, Listen, I've been out on a drunk all this time, and I needed, you know, uh, I'm going to A to do something about my drinking. So he looked at the note and he read it and he said, Okay, Mr. Darden, but you better not pull this again. Whoa, I got a reprieve now. So now, see, because I'm 38 years old now, and the post office is my only shot. You know, the money paid good, and I had no skills and nothing like that. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to blow the job. The wife, I figured I had lost. You know, that was the lost cause. I figured she was through, through anyway. But I didn't want to lose the job. You know, so uh, I um, so so I went in the locker room, and so the guy said, "Man, what'd you tell him? What'd you tell him?" I says, "I told him I'm going to AA." I told him the truth. So the guy said, "You should have never told him that, because you're going to be in trouble now because they figured that I wasn't going to follow through." You know. So, um, you know, that's what they said. But what I had going for me, my buddy had come to these rooms and stayed straight for close to ninety days. Uh, another thing they told me: a day at a time. That day that I went to that meeting, I felt that I wouldn't drink that day because there was people in the room. So I made AA meetings for twenty straight days, and um, and then I went in the bar. Then I went in the bar with my cousin. And I picked up a drink and drank it. And then I felt guilty about picking up that drink. Now, I never had I felt guilty about uh, uh, drinking or picking up a drink. See, being exposed to these rooms just the short time that I did do, there was the focus went right on that drink. Now, the only guilt and remorse that I ever felt was when, before I got to AA, was when I would be coming off the drunk And I would be drinking whatever was left, you know, Thunderbird or whatever. And I would be trying to figure out whether I, what day I left the job, whether I hit out at lunchtime or the end time, you know, because I drank on the job. Dang, I done blew all the money. Now I got to beg her to take me back home. And I got to get money, you know, all this agonizing stuff. But I'm still putting the stuff in me that caused the whole thing. You see what I'm saying? Because I hadn't been here. But once I got here, just for the 20 days, the focus went right on that drink. So then I ran back to the meetings, and to my amazement, they didn't make a federal case. But I said, man, I, I picked up a drink. They said, don't worry about it. You got coffee in your hand now, man. Keep on coming. See, they didn't beat up on me. That was important. They didn't beat up on me. So they were glad that I made it back. And then they told me, to say, some don't get that, man. Try to stay here while you're here. And they just left, like, little short things, you know, uh, uh, you know to, that, that helped me. And, uh, and, but I, I had no intentions of staying, but I wanted to make the 90 days to, to, to get back home with the wife and the, the job be, be all right. So I hung out. I hung in there for 90, close to 90 days, and I was buying me some clothes. I had a few dollars in my pocket, and uh, I was sending the money uptown, you know, for the kids and whatnot. And uh, finally, I visited a couple of times, and um, the wife took me back home, and the job got all right. I, I don't need AA now, man. I can control it. you know? <laughs> and I left. You know, I left, and uh, now when I'm drinking, if, if I got Scotch, I'm putting three or four ice cubes in it. Uh, I'm trying to sip. And if I got a jug in the locker room on the job, I'm boxing mail, and I'm trying not to go back so often. And my mind is on that jug in the locker, and, I, and I'm miserable, you know. And I never drank like that. You just down a jug and get another one and let the chips fall where they may and get some more. See, but now I'm trying to control it, and I couldn't. And, uh, and then I know, you know what I'm saying? I heard a guy say that. He said, once you come to treatment or AA meeting, you know. You may not stay, but you know. See, because I knew there was another way. See, so, and then that was, uh, uh, you know, a bugging a bug me. And it was getting worse. So finally, I kept going in and out, in and out. And finally, uh, uh, and what kept me coming back, I'll tell you. They always told me to keep coming back. See, they didn't beat up on me. So finally, uh, I was able to get honest with myself about the first step. And I took a good look at my track record. Alcohol equal all the trouble that I'd ever gotten into. I remember one incident, I jumped down a flight of steps on my wife. She was carrying my firstborn. And all she did was come for the, uh, you know, the money and stuff like that. Because I wasn't, you know, I didn't go home. And I remember my brother saying, you're crazy, man. You know, and I was, you know, and thank God, thank God. And I always thank him when I go into a penitentiary and leave. I thank him anyway. But especially when I go into a penitentiary and lead, because if that woman hadn't sidestepped, you know, I'd be in the penitentiary now because she was carrying, you're not supposed to even hit a woman and she was pregnant. If she hadn't sidestepped and I hit the wall, I'm grateful that I hit the wall because I'd be in jail now. And I think of that. And, and, and another thing, when I first came in, I didn't hear none of this because I wasn't really listening because I was wanting to go out. See, a lot of things that I would hear, as I ain't never been to jail, but once I surrendered to the first step and it, it stayed in this room and started really listening and identifying, then I started remembering. I said, you know, man, you could have went to jail if you would have landed on See, these things, as, as I stayed and started listening, you know, so these are things that, 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 I, that I did and I'm not proud of it, but uh, I finally did surrender. And uh, because I could plainly see all, it was all the trouble I got into and the thing I looked at was able to see that when I made these meetings for uh, the months that I did stay sober, it was better. It was better, and I hadn't even gotten to none of the steps. But it was better. I went to work. I had a few dollars in my pocket. When I stepped off on the floor and I came back, you know, see, so it was better. And when I went out, it kept getting worse. So finally, you know, I I, I was able to see that. Well, if something works for one day. It'll work for two days if you do the same thing you did the first day. If something works for three months, why won't it work for four months if you do what you did the three months, you know? So that's the way it came to me, and I surrendered. And uh, the day I surrendered, my brother, uh, one of the hustling brothers, he uh, he hit the ceiling when I said I was going back to AA. You know, outside people, they see you going in and out, in and out, and they look at the in and out, and they'll, a lot of them say it ain't working, and that's what he said. He said man i don't know what you're going back there for man it ain't working you know he said man if you want to drink go ahead and drink but make sure you go to work and everything but i knew he didn't know you know but i knew god had me know that that this worked, you know if it works for three months it'll work long a day at a time so i didn't pay him on. i didn't pay him any mind another key thing that i did when i surrendered i made a meeting that night and i went uptown and i went to my ex-wife and I said I'd like to come back home if you'll take me but whether you take me back home or not I'm going back to AA I didn't put no conditions on my sobriety I knew if I didn't pick up a drink a day at a time because it was already proven to me I had a chance at life I knew that from my gut you know and it didn't depend and I'm not put down on her but it didn't depend on on her it depended on as I come to believe now God and and, and AA and the 12th step I didn't I hadn't gotten that far but I knew enough that I couldn't drink, you know, and I had heard an old-timer say to that at a meeting, they were talking about this and that, and and the fourth step, and they was all around, he said, uh, if you haven't learned that you can't drink, you ain't learned nothing, See? and that's what I, that's what I, that's what I had to come to, you can't drink, and, and the only way I could stay sober was being in these rooms with all of you. Uh, so I surrendered and, uh, Okay, she took me. She took me back home, and and she wasn't that di da about it either, you know. But uh, that was all right because I was focused on my recovery. And uh, my first two years, uh, I was on a pink cloud, and I heard an old timer say, "It's all right to be on a pink cloud, but make sure when you get off that pink cloud, you come down with the first step in your hands." I can't drink. That's what he, that's what he said at that meeting. I never forgot that. Uh, my first two years was 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 okay and uh what brought me off it was my brother the one that i drank with got stabbed to death in brooklyn the girl that stabbed him to death we had drank cold up together the christmas before i got into a.a uh on top of that she beat the rap and uh when my brother from uh streets when i took the news to him he wanted me to go to brooklyn with him so we could put a bullet in our head uh thank god for being in a.a Thank God for the people in the rooms. Thank God for the guys that had done hard times, you know, and I'd heard their leads. And they comforted me and and said, God will take care of that. You just keep doing what you're doing, man. And uh, it was painful. Uh, I cried in the rooms. I talked about it. And that's the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous. Whatever is bothering you, you can talk about it and talk about it on the outside if they was to see me coming they they would say oh here comes larry talk talking about his brother's death man let's duck him they don't want to hear it unless they ain't got no money and i'm buying so they'll listen to it you know they don't really care but larry's buying so you got to listen to his brother's death you know see that's the deal but here they listen to me and i was able to get through that without picking up a drink that's the bottom line the bottom line and then uh and then what i learned from that No matter what happens, I don't have to pick up a drink. You know, God will bring me through it with with, with all of you people and the 12 steps, the whole package, because I was able to get through that with the we and God and all. Uh, Moving it on up, um, after eight years, uh, I got complacent and uh, I got on a dry drunk and it got so bad that uh, I had to remove myself and uh, I got me a studio apartment and uh, I jumped back into the program. I didn't get another relationship or nothing like that because it was it was me, something that I wasn't doing. So I jumped back into the program, and um, I came back after two years, and I was there until she died in 85, and uh, the day she died, uh, my daughter came, I think the next day, and she said, Daddy, go ahead to your AA meeting. Uh, We'll take care of the funeral raves with her and a friend. And I went to my AA meeting, my home group, and I shared my wife's death. And uh, a lady stood up and she said, Larry, remember your wife belonged to God and he just took back what belonged to him. Well, I had gotten a God of my understanding by then. Uh, he does run the show. Uh, he chose to take her. That eased the pain for that day. The pain didn't vanish. But it eased the pain for that day because I didn't pick up a drink. I went to a meeting and I shared it, bottom line. And then God, you know, did the rest. Um, I was at a meeting, uh, another incident that happened. My my youngest son verbally abused me that, that same year and he wanted a physical confrontation with me. And he stands about like that and he wanted a piece of me bad. And he tried to provoke me, but thank God, God uh, stepped in, and I was able to walk away from him. And as I got towards the door, he said, "And get the F out. I kept walking, and uh, this time I didn't call anybody in AA, and this is to show you how God can ride straight with crooked lines. As I got to the subway, I took the subway ride down to Manhattan. I went to my brother's place. This is the one that was still hustling. And uh, I told him what happened. I said, my son made a punk out of me. According to the streets, he did. And then my brother said something that I never dreamed he would say. Uh, He said, you did the right thing. He said, you don't want to go to the penitentiary for killing your son, he said, because that's what you'd have to do. And then another thing he used to say quite often, he said, fighting is like going to court. You don't know how you're gonna come out. You ain't got to win. See? So these were plain, simple truths that made sense. Nothing to analyze about him, you know. So uh, when he said that, and I didn't expect that coming from him. I had no way I did I expect that. So I went up there the next day and got my clothes. And uh, and the beauty of this program I don't have I've seen my son many times since then. I don't know how he feels. We hug and we you know, we talk, but I don't I love him you know that's because we can't hold no resentment you know they'll eat us alive and I've seen them several and this happened in uh, 85 uh, 87 I was able to retire from the post office uh, a job that I had abused and uh, that's a miracle in itself but God and AA that, that's, that's the deal God and AA if, if it wasn't for God I would have been fired because a union delegate is no miracle worker especially when you're always wrong you know there's some cases there's a shadow of a doubt you know but in my case when they would see me coming oh Jesus Christ you know what I mean a plea bargain deal whenever they saw me you know so uh if it wasn't for God in AA I wouldn't have kept that job so I retired in uh 80 uh yeah 87 and um I was at a meeting sharing about uh sharing my story like I'm doing now and uh I was saying i was married 29 years and a fellow walked up to the podium after during like the coffee break and he said larry just keep what doing well i knew the guy for years and uh, he had never been married or whatnot but he said god knows that you're used to having a woman in your life so uh just keep doing what you're doing god's gonna put a woman in your life and you know how you hear things uh in a and you put them on the shelf you don't you don't throw them away and anyway uh in 1988 uh my childhood sweetheart the young lady that, uh, I live right across the street from, uh, she was relocating uh, to, to uh, Columbus. And she had come home to, to get her clothes and Osmond had died and she got in touch with me. And uh, that's the young lady right there. She's with me tonight. And uh, she called out where I was at and uh, we were together that, that week and we had the plan, uh, this was before she left, we had a plan that uh, I would come to Columbus for a week. And then she would come back, this was September, I'd come here in October for a week. And then in November, she would come to back to New York, you know, we'd, you know, uh, resume our relationship. But uh, what had happened, what I hadn't figured on when she left Saturday, that Saturday, man, did I miss her. I said, holy smoke. So now, I, I said, oh, Jesus Christ. So now I'm thinking. So I get a brainstorm, and I said, well, wait a minute. I know what I'll do. Because I was working with my brother, and I'd asked him for a week's vacation. So I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to come to Columbus for a month. So as soon as the thing gets in my head, I call her that night, and I says, hey, I got a better idea. I'm going to come to Columbus for a month. So, so she said, okay, Larry, that's good. I'll line up some more things for us to do because, see, she had been visiting Columbus a lot of years, you know, because her girlfriend was here and whatnot. So when her husband died, uh, she had, you know, recommended, you know, that she come here. So, um, so after I, I, she said, okay, so then I go to work the next day at my brother's place and, and I'm thinking, you know, and I'm sitting there. I says, wait a minute. If I go there for a month, I says, that feeling will real, will appear again. So then I get an idea, I said, wait a minute, I forget the position I'm in. I said, hey, you're retired, the kids are out of the way, you can go there for good. So then I call her that night, and uh, I say, I got a better idea. So she says, what? I says, I'm going to come to Columbus for good. So she laughed, you know, she said, she said, but you've never been to Columbus, Larry, you don't you don't know whether you'll like it or not I said well if you're in Columbus I'll like it and the next month I came in in October but here's where God works. Uh I was telling her how active I was in AA and everything so she said well Larry I said I got to call AA when I get there but she had met uh, and, and he doesn't mind me using the name she had met Bill Walker uh, in her visits back and forth he used to be a friend of her friends and she said there's a fellow there and his story sounds something like yours and whatnot so she says, I'll tell him about you. So when I got here on a Tuesday night, that Wednesday, Bill Walker was at my house, just that quick. And uh, we were sitting at the table, and we were talking, and he was telling me about the meetings. And at that time, neither one of us were, were driving, and uh, she drives now. I still don't. But uh, we were sitting at the table, and uh, he was telling me about the meetings. And he said, well, my group is a poindexter, but they got meetings at the, si- the central office, which was on 1706 East Broad at that time. So then he was telling, I was living up at 161 Raintree at the time. He said, they got a lot of meetings up here, and they got one at Morse Road. So now I'm so eager to get busy, I'm saying, man, can I walk it, man? He said, no. He said, well, man, uh, it's conceivable that you can walk it, but still it's quite a few ways. And when he said that word, I laughed, you know, because he made me laugh. So then my wife is looking at us. So then when he leaves, she says, boy, y'all talk with each other like you know each other. I said, we do you know one drunk talking to another one don't matter so uh i came down to the central office thursday that thursday i went downstairs i stayed for an hour you know and then she militia was upstairs and then i came back home now here's where the disease waits on you patiently i had 16 years when i came here and uh, now i'm going to meet maybe once a week when i go down to the day meeting uh the, you know the central office meetings, they go on and on i'm looking at my watch and jesus christ i got to get out of here. And I'm out of there at 12 o'clock. You know, I mean, I'm not waiting until the day. It's like, geez, they got to get everybody. You know, there's open discussion. And and uh, that's the disease trying to draw me away. So finally, um, uh, I'm not going to meetings. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, once a week. And Leisha would ask me. She said, oh, you go to a meeting today. But she didn't say, I said, nah, I'll go tomorrow and all that. And I got the big book home and all the spiritual tapes. I ain't getting into any of that. You know, I'm laying up watching TV. Uh, Watching Oprah Winfrey, listening to jazz—you know, you know—I got I got the dinner ready for her when she comes.
1: (laughs) But you know, that's
0: the disease, man. You know, and so finally, uh, I'm telling my son, who's uh, at that time he had a year recovery in New York off crack and alcohol, and I'm telling him, I said, "Geez, I got to get started. See, I know what I need to do, but I ain't know I'm talking about." So uh, I tell him about it one week, and then the next two weeks. Uh, I tell him the same thing because I hadn't done anything then he cracked on me he says daddy you said that two weeks ago and I laughed you know but I mean but he was right so finally in um, February of 89 because we we got married that April of 89 and uh, February of 89 uh, I got up off my uh, ass and started going to meetings I started coming down there every day come early stay late and and everything then the early bird meeting uh, an opening came for that I grabbed that uh, the noon meeting Wednesday, I grabbed that, and uh, then there were others that were open. I'd fill in there, you know, because I knew that people that stopped doing what got them the four months, the five years, the ten years, they end up drunk. In the bottom line, they stopped doing what got them, what got them to that point. And I know all this, but knowing and doing is two different things. So I finally took the action, and I got a tape at home. By this, so uh, Father Father Four P F A U. He calls himself Father John Doe. And he says uh, an alcoholic and an addict needs a a minimum amount of analysis and a maximum amount of action, you know, and and that's that. That is the deal. So I had to take the action and I showed up. And when they asked me to lead, I started getting doing what I needed to do for myself. Uh, One day after I got active a couple of years and then I asked uh, my wife, I said, did you ever think I was going to want to go back to New York? She said, well, I was a little concerned because you told me how active you were in AA in New York and, and I thought that you missed your AA buddies uh, in New York. That's why you weren't going to AA here. And uh, I said, no, no, I knew what I had to do. I said, they got the same drunks and addicts in Columbus as they got in New York. The only difference is New York's bigger, there's more. But there's enough of you here for me. There's enough <laughs> of AA meetings here for me. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart you know what I'm saying most of the people in this room I know are either over half of you you know but the deal is I had to come I had to show up stick my hand out and say I'm Larry you know how you doing I had to get active I had to do the same things that got me to 16 years if I did not have been drunk you know bottom line because I've heard it so many times I stopped doing what what got me to, to, to where I'm at And I, and I don't want to lose this this is a gift from God you know and the powers to be, they're building more penitentiaries and cutting out treatment centers. So what they're saying, sink or swim. Sink or swim, no more money. You know? And, and I you know I shouldn't get them, but, but it just, if you're here, stay here. Because this works. This ain't no dues or fees. They can't mess with this. Can't mess with this. This ain't no dues or fees. See? And, 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 we, and we love each other. We care about each other. And I'm right at home in Columbus, man, because I'm around drunks and addicts. And the bonus, I got a job at the central office, you know, that's the real bonus, you know, drunks and addicts all day and working with Donna, <laughs> you know, and that's lovingly. I, I mean, I have a, I have a boss, she, Larry, you know, she'll call me, but that's lovingly, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of things, you know, that I'm not sure of. I, I, can, I can go to her or Juanita or Bill or the other guy, you know, Yeah, I mean, I've been sober a little over 20 20 years. That's a drop in the bucket, you know, because I still need help. I still need all of you, you know, and and, and I'm grateful to God that he's given us this. I'm grateful that Bill needed a drunk when that deal fell through and he needed a drunk to talk to. He found Bob. But that's the bottom line. One drunk talking to another and helping. And if you're new, stay here, you know, and if you're not drinking right now, you've already stopped. Just don't pick up and hang around us, you know, all you know, all day. And thank all of you for listening. And uh, I'd like to thank the the winter gathering uh, for for having me. Thank you.